middle of the country, but not middle of the road opinions. It's the podcast dedicated to sports in the air capital of the world, Wichita, Kansas and beyond with Tommy Castor and Weston Mills. This is Keeper of the Games. Hey, what's going on, everybody? Thank you so much for checking out Keeper of the Games. We are the podcast that focuses on sports and everything going on in the world of sports in the air capital of Wichita, Kansas, and beyond. I'm Tommy Castor, along with Weston Mills, and it seems like we've had several episodes back-to-back-to-back-to-back-to-back with big stories that we really want to talk about and really want to get to, and today is no exception. But before we get to that, Weston, how are things going, man? Absolutely great. Just got back from uh, South Dakota, went up and saw Mount Rushmore. Really, really cool experience, Um, but mostly just nice, man, to get away and really kind of, I don't know, step away from everything that's going on in the world. It really did feel like I I had kind of done that up there. There was hardly any service. The weather was pretty fantastic because it was low 80s up there in South Dakota. You're just kind of further along north and the elevation up in the Black Hills gives you just a little bit more room. So it's been really nice, man. I I had a good week and ready to talk, talk a little football. Yeah, absolutely. And back by popular demand is the one and only Blake Cripps, who is the voice of the Newman University Jets, joining us once again here on Keeper of the Games. And it's a milestone, Blake, because you are our first guest to come back for multiple appearances. So welcome back. I was supposed to be here to fill in for Weston, and I was going to (laughs) say that Weston stole my thunder by coming back and being on the show. But when it's a guy like me, there's not any thunder to be stolen. So I'm just glad to be a part of the three-man booth again. Absolutely. Well, glad that you're here. And uh, of course, if you're listening, glad that you're listening to this episode of Keeper of the Games. want to remind you to hit subscribe. So whenever we have a brand new episode of the podcast that drops, you'll get a notification. You can check us out anywhere you listen to your favorite podcasts like iTunes, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, TuneIn Radio, Pocket Cast. Basically, anywhere you listen to your favorite podcasts, you'll find Keeper of the Games right there. You can also go to our website, Cogpod. That's kogpod.weebly.com. You can follow us and watch full episodes on Facebook and YouTube by searching for Keeper of the Games. And of course, follow us on Twitter and Instagram at CogPod. Again, that's at K-O-G-Pod. And once again, a big uh, thank you to our sponsor, Title Boxing Club. Uh, They're located at 21st and Rock Road in the shops at Tallgrass, which, by the way, they just celebrated their eight-year anniversary here in Wichita. And until the end of the month, all apparel is only $8. So get in there and check that out at Title Boxing Club, 21st and Rock Road in the shops at Tallgrass. Tallgrass. Let's get right into it. Last week, Weston, our big topic was, of course, Patrick Mahomes. We did an emergency podcast episode about Mahomes and the contract that he signed a week ago. And here we go talking about another big contract. And it's the next domino to fall for the Chiefs. And that's Chris Jones. According to Chris Mortensen from ESPN and many other reports, uh, Chris Jones has signed a new contract with the Kansas City Chiefs, a four year, $85 million contract for Chris and Kansas City, which is obviously big time. And we've got a lot of reaction to get to about that news. And Weston, I'm going to start with you because I know that obviously you've had a lot of opinions over the last several months about what the Chiefs should do with Chris Jones. What's your immediate reaction to this new contract? This signing is probably one of the most mixed mixed emotions I think I've had for a Chiefs signing in a while. Um, I'll start here. I've said it time and time again. Chris Jones is a fantastic football player. I think he's the second best defensive lineman in the entire NFL. So, at you know, keeping a guy on on a roster like that is you know a, a move that any franchise wants to make. Now, with that being said, this signing makes me nervous. I think we talked a little bit on 
the podcast last week that I wanted a short deal if something was done just because that's a lot of money tied up in now essentially three positions and not in really kind of two positions, but three players with obviously Pat, Chris Jones, and then Frank Clark kind of leading the way as far as, you know, the salary numbers are, are concerned. Um, now, with that being said, I think this is a, a great deal for Chris Jones. I think it's a great deal for the Chiefs. I think he deserves every bit of penny of that. And that's why I think I was just a little bit nervous in putting that much money into three players, essentially. Um, but again, with that being said, that is a really good basis for your team, right? So you've now locked up your quarterback of the future. I mean, you've got a quarterback for 10, 12, for 12 years now. And then probably, and I know it's probably very arguable, but the next most important position on the team is probably the guys that can get to the other team's quarterback, right? So you've now locked up both Frank Clark and Chris Jones, um, probably one of the best duos. And I know Frank Clark really, he kind of came on at the end of the last season and Chris Jones really dominated all year, but those two are really going to anchor this defense. Um, and I would think that in Brett Veach's mind, whatever offensive players continue to kind of flow through this system, because I think what this has done now, I know I think Kelsey's up next year. Tyreek did get a deal the year before, but it's going to put a lot of pressure on finding offensive guys that can flow through this system and kind of plug and play. And you're hoping that with Patrick Mahomes, he can elevate those guys around him and kind of make up for not being able to spend money on the offense. So like I said, I think there's a lot of mixed motions. Ultimately I would have been, I'm I'm happy that they signed him, but I would have understood on the same time the the business side and the construction of a roster moving forward if they had decided to let him go because of of the money. Let's talk about immediate reaction from you, Blake Cripps. What are your thoughts on the new contract for Chris Jones and the Chiefs? Well, as Weston mentioned, this is a really sweetheart deal for Chris Jones because those I'm not really big into the salary cap and what this means and how this is going to impact where you can sign. That's not really why I enjoy football. But I do know that when you sign a player to that fifth, that five and six year deal in the NFL, that's pretty much only good for the team. Because if you're not playing well, they'll just cut you. They'll just get rid of you. They, if they don't want you, and if you're playing well, then you've got to come back and they'll keep having you as part of the team. So the five- and six-year deal really doesn't do the player any good. For Chris Jones, if he has four monster years, he gets to re-up for an even bigger deal with the Chiefs or perhaps somebody else and get even more money quicker. So it's a great deal for the Chiefs. Uh, four years, $80 million with $5 million in potential in terms of sack incentives for what he gets. Obviously, he's been a dominant force on the defensive line, certainly in 2018 with 15 and a half sacks, had nine last year. Um, but he, I don't feel like he was asked to do as much. The defense as a whole was much better in 2019 under Coach Spagnuolo, and obviously it got better as the year went along. Was That improvement was one of the key parts of winning the Super Bowl for the Chiefs. I think you know, for me as a fan, my number one focus right now, obviously, is still basking in the glow of the Super Bowl championship. But what are the Chiefs going to do with Travis Kelsey? All the other weapons on the offense, you know, Andy Reid has just kind of figured out a way to just plug and play running backs. You know, I, I could probably go out there and they'll still win five games, <laughs> even with me as running back. So he, he's just an offensive wizard, you know, with Eric Bieniemy, which 
by the way, again, how in the world did we keep him as our offensive coordinator? Ridiculous. And Patrick Mahomes with those three guys in the brain trust. It just feels like, you know, you've got the speedy Tyreek Hill. You can just kind of plug in any kind of an athlete who's a team player. Who, If you have any smart running back, they can exist and have success in that offense. But I feel like Kelsey is such a safety valve, can make such plays in the tight end. And I feel like there is a bigger gap between the top tier tight ends and the bottom tier tight ends much bigger than there is between say the number three four five running back obviously the top running backs you know you're not finding Christian McCaffrey's coming into your offense every day that's not happening but between the number five running back and the number 25 running back I don't feel there's this big of a gap there's a big gap between Kelsey and the number 15 tight end, a huge gap. So how are the Chiefs going to play that out? How are they going to retain Kelsey? That's the biggest question facing the front office after the end of next season now. So here's where I land on on all of this. So, you know, I really what the Chiefs are doing here is they are they're they're dictating the market. They're playing supply and demand and they're doing it really really well. There's a guy in Chris Jones that number 1 deserved to be paid and number 2 wanted to continue to play in Kansas City. It's not unlike what they did last week with Patrick Mahomes, obviously a, at a different level uh, when you've got a franchise quarterback that'll be there for over a decade. But you think about what the Chiefs have done to the league, what they've signaled to the rest of the league over the last couple of weeks. Number one, they've signaled, we're building a dynasty and we're doing it now. You know, it, it's not necessarily about planting the seeds for a couple of years from now. It's about we are, we're building a dynasty now. This is not going to be our only Super Bowl title. We're coming back. In fact, that's why the whole theme for the team has been hashtag run it back, right? They, they want to continue this and, and continue it on. So they're sending a message, number one, that they're building a dynasty. Number two, they're sending a message about how much they care about their fan, their franchise players, not only just from the whole scheme of, hey, we need you guys to win, but also we we care about you financially as well. You know, Weston, I remember a few weeks ago, you and I were talking about the Royals and talking about, you know, how the, you know, the, the minor league system, the farm system with the Royals and about how, you know, multiple minor leaguers were coming out and saying, yeah. Dayton Moore and the front office and the ownership, they care about us. We want to play for a franchise that's like that. This is pretty similar to what the Chiefs are doing as well. They're signaling to their players and the rest of the league that, hey, we we care about taking care of our, our franchise players. If you can come in here and produce, we're going to take care of you. So that's that's the that's the demand that they're building. You're going to have, you know, a, a good amount of free agents and of course, you know, future draft picks that are going to want to end up playing for a team like Kansas City. The problem is, unless you're Patrick Mahomes, unless you're Chris Jones, unless you're Frank Clark, more than likely, there's just not going to be a whole lot of money available for you. So they're playing supply and demand, uh, and they're really focused on, we want to take care of the people that we have right now and the ones who are producing for us and the ones that are, are getting us to the promised land. I, I think this is pretty interesting. I want to point this out. So here were some of the key pieces that the Chiefs did not have deals done with after they won the Super Bowl. Sammy Watkins, Bashad Breland, Demarcus Robinson, Mike Pinnell, and Chris Jones. And obviously Patrick Mahomes reworking that deal. They got deals done with all of them. 
every single one of them. Mm-hmm. And I, that's, that's crazy to me, you know, because you would think that there would at least be one guy. And there've been several that you and I have talked about Weston over the last several months about, yeah, more than likely they're not going to be back. Sammy Watkins isn't going to come back, but you're seeing guys that in, in some cases like Sammy Watkins, they're willing to take less money to rejoin this franchise. It's a new day in Kansas city for sure. Yeah, absolutely. I, and I think a couple, couple things I want to point out from kind of both of your, your commentary on that, you know, as far as a, a dynasty is concerned, you know, I, I think, well, first you're right, Tommy, because the culture is, you just don't see that. I mean, how, it is almost like clockwork every year after somebody wins the Super Bowl, you have four or five guys check out because they want to go get paid and Kansas city could bring everybody back. And that's in, incredible. But I think when you talk about a roster build to, to really sustain or, or, or even just have a dynasty altogether, I think this is the, the the new way the NFL is going to really approach this. And maybe, I mean, it, it's not that it's necessarily new, but I think obviously as we've shifted away from the focus on the running back, and I think at times linebackers were, were fairly sought after because of, you know, folks doing the run game. But I think now the way to do it is really to anchor your defensive line, anchor your pass rush, and then, and obviously secure your quarterback of the future. And that's what they've done here. Now, with that being said, it, it kind of does a couple things, right? You, you do see success with young guys coming in playing linebacker right away. You have seen success with cornerbacks coming in right away, but you have to hit on that in the draft. Where I get nervous, I think, is more on the offensive line because, like we've mentioned, look, you know, whoever – is catching Patrick Mahomes football, I, I think is going to have success to some degree. Now, of course, you'd love to have Tyreek Hill. You'd love to have Travis Kelsey. Of course, like that's a that's a no-brainer. But those guys that are catching balls from Patrick Mahomes are going to be successful because of Eric Bieniemy, because of Andy Reid, because of Patrick Mahomes. So you're kind of okay with sliding whoever, not whoever, but being a little more loose with that. But you got to have guys to protect that quarterback of the future. And that is one of the, I think, the toughest positions to not only draft, but to even bring in free agents because they're so, because guys that have worked either get paid by their teams or they are so sought after in the free agent market, a good left tackle, a good right guard, whatever. Um, but with that being said, we've seen success from Brett Veach in drafting offensive linemen. He's had a really good record, I think, so far in finding guys in the fifth, sixth, seventh round, signing, you know, UDFAs or bringing in someone from a practice squad. So hopefully, I mean, he's got to continue to have that success. Um, and then the only other thing, and I'll, I want to kind of slide to Blake's commentary here, because I think the writing is on the wall. I think you need to enjoy the last season we've got of Travis Kelsey because I think he's gone. And I think, I think he was probably one of those guys. I, I, Travis Kelsey has been one of my favorite players of the last few years, man. He's a big market guy like that personality. I think he wanted to be in LA. I think he wanted to be in New York. I think he would want to be in Chicago. I, I just kind of think, and, and I, and this is by no means me knocking Travis Kelsey or blaming him. I think he's the kind of guy that's going to go cash out wh- wherever he can. And he, by all means, he should, and so I think it, you're probably looking at the end of of the Travis Kelsey era with the money they have locked up. It's just going to be too hard to keep him. Well, here's the the counter argument would be the same reason that I think you know Jones and Sammy Watkins, uh, you know, decided to re up with Kansas City. And Sammy Watkins, I mean, I didn't know. I don't. I'm not saying that I read everything on the internet about the Chiefs' chances of keeping him, but from 
the inclination that I got was that the Chiefs had precisely zero chance of keeping Sammy Watkins. And I think there's three reasons, three main reasons why he came back at a discount for the Chiefs. And I think it's the same reasons that would pull Kelsey or anybody else back or free agents to come and sign for Kansas City. And they are Patrick Mahomes, Andy Reid, and the Hunt family, which goes back to what Tommy said. They look and they see, wow, they're taking care of Patrick Mahomes. They're taking care of these other free agents, and they're re-signing their own players. And there is something to be said about having the best player in the world on your roster. That's what the Kansas City Chiefs had. I don't know if they've ever had that. Maybe going back to, like, Priest Holmes, could they have argued they have the best player in the world? Number 15 is the best player in the universe, and the Chiefs have him for a decade. There are going to be a lot of guys, and I think that this could help the Chiefs down the road in free agency. There are going to be guys that can still play for one year, two years, at the end of their contract. Maybe they have had a long, successful career somewhere else, but maybe they've been playing for the Lions. They've been stuck there. They want a chance to taste the ring in February, to play some meaningful January and February football. They look at Kansas City and say, wow, they have like maybe the most likable head coach that's ever coached football in Andy Reid. We have the best quarterback playing right now. Not saying that he's as, as great as Tom Brady, who has way more rings, but right now, give me Patrick Mahomes. That's going to be very enticing. I am also concerned. I share the concern with Weston, though, about the injuries. We saw what happened to the Chiefs' offense when Patrick Mahomes got injured last year. Now, if Patrick Mahomes was just a regular person and not a Marvel superhero, you know, (laughs) totally different. But there were several games. You guys both watched. There were several games when Patrick Mahomes was basically playing on one leg. And he, you know, he's a way tougher than he gets credit for. And, you know, certainly the the backup situation went as well as it could have possibly gone for the Chiefs last season. But that's not something that I want to test out a whole lot. And this is, I feel like the offensive line, when it's not at the level of the skill position in the defense, that is the number one indicator of a team that underachieves its overall talent level. So I think the offensive line is going to be a concern. Maybe the Chiefs can rectify that in the draft, getting these young offensive linemen from college that they won't have to pay those huge Eric Fisher-type contracts and salaries to. But it definitely is a concern moving into the future. So here's my my response, going back to the Travis Kelsey comment, Weston, that you made. My argument about why I'm not particularly concerned about what happens to a guy like Travis Kelsey at the end of next year. And that's because we have constantly, and the media and the pundits have constantly, over the last year or two, taken a look at every big-name player that the Chiefs have had and have said things like, there's no way that they're going to get him re-signed. There's no way that's going to happen. I mean, th- that conversation was had about Tyreek Hill. Conversation was had about Patrick Mahomes. And I think everybody knew eventually it, would, it was going to work out, but not as quickly as it did. You know, conversations about Chris Jones, re-signed. Sammy Watkins, re-signed. I, I think it goes back again to that culture. I think it goes back to, you know, yeah, Travis Kelsey has a personality bigger than the universe. But when, if he goes to L.A., 
he doesn't have Patrick Mahomes. If he goes to New York, he doesn't have Patrick Mahomes. You know, the other argument that I would make about that is that I think in some cases, Travis Kelsey likes being in Kansas City with his personality because he gets to own Kansas City. He's not drowned out by other huge media figures. There aren't a lot of, he's not competing for the attention as much in a market like Kansas City. It's kind of like big fish, you know, in a small pond. The players that I would be concerned about, and, and this is kind of where, Again, I'm not negative about this contract at all for Chris Jones. I think it's a great thing. I think it's great to lock up, you know, two guys on your defense for a while, like Chris Jones and Frank Clark, that can be a tandem. But I do hope that this is not a cautionary tale for Kansas City, where we look back on it in five or 10 years and we say, man, we shouldn't have, you know, locked up so much money on three guys. Because I think the players that, to be concerned with maybe not coming back are some of your mid-level players like Alex Okafor and Damian Wilson. And, you know, even, you know, fan favorites like Laurent uh, duvernay Tardif. I don't think that, I think it would be, you know, interesting to see how much money those guys can garner on the open market. And is Kansas City going to be willing to go and match that? But I think for the stars, whether you're talking about Kelsey Mahomes, Hill, uh, Jones and Clark, and even, you know, Teron Matthew, I think those are guys that are going to be locked in with Kansas Kansas City for a while because I just don't think that the Chiefs are willing to lose that star power. I just I really don't think that's going to happen. Yeah, I mean, the Chiefs can't give a max contract to everybody, yeah. right? Well, and and so exactly. I, I want to touch on this before we because we've kind of moved into the Travis Kelsey conversation before we swing back to, to Chris Jones. Here's the only thing I want to point out, and I do want to make a small correction because we've been uh, Travis Kelsey's contract is actually through 2021. But so this year, his base salary is going to make eight million. Next year, he's going to make seven and a half million. Uh, before that, he made six point eight million. You look at a guy like um, Austin Hooper that just signed with with Cleveland. It was a four year, I think forty forty two million dollar contract. Kelsey, he's going to be thirty two at the end of his contract with the Chiefs. He's probably going to get a four year deal because thirty six about that age. He's going to get a four year. 60, 65, $70 million contract. There's, I have no doubt that he will get that money. And I just don't know if it'll be there for Kansas city, but moving back to to Chris Jones. So before before you move back to Chris Jones, one thing I do want to say about that. And and I, I don't, I don't doubt that at all, that it's going to be difficult for the chiefs, but look at a guy like Brett Veach, who has gotten so creative over the last several months of getting these guys re-signed. If there's anybody that I want in charge of my pocketbook to do my finances for me, it's going to be the people that are running the Chiefs organization. Well, so anything is possible with them. And do we know? Do we know if we can pay Travis Kelsey in fur coats? Like, will that count against the salary cap? How does that, <laughs> Maybe how you does never that know. Work? You never know. Um, but you be okay. careful. That'll upset some people. That's, do yeah, that. <laughs> that's no doubt. Um, okay, so last thing I kind of want to I want to say about Chris Jones because I, I kind of want to shift to the football side, like what it means really to have him locked up from the football side. You know, I think folks. At the end of the season, I think people started to see what Frank Clark could bring. At the end of the season, you also will remember Chris Jones was kind of really going through being hurt, and we didn't know if we would even have him. We have not seen Frank Clark at his best and Chris Jones at his best at the same time. I am telling you, you are going to see some fantastic things from that defensive line next year. There's not an offensive line in in football anywhere that can block those two together, and especially – with the creativity that you can see, and especially with Spags, gosh, I'm, I'm a huge Steve Spagnolia fan. Um, he gets really creative in, in one of one of the things, and Brennan Daly, their defensive line coach, if you ever get a chance to YouTube some videos of Brennan Daly, he, God, he gets after his guys. Anyway, sorry, I'm, I'm getting distracted. Um, 
putting those two, lining those two up next to each other, I just don't see how how folks are going to be able to block Chris Jones and Frank Clark lined up next to each other. I mean, you're going to have moments of, and you're going to have moments of having to throw a tight end and a running back that way just to get those two blocked. Now, with that being said. Frank Clark typically playing a five technique, Chris Jones typically playing a three technique. Those guys don't, they don't always line up next to each other. But again, that kind of goes back to my comment about Brennan Daly and Steve Spagnuolo. You can get creative and put those guys next to each other and kind of do some different things. So I think what that does for the entire defense, having those two putting pressure on the quarterback from, from the second that ball snapped is going to do wonders for the linebackers, going to do wonders for the secondary. It's going to elevate that defense as a whole. So I, from a football standpoint, couldn't be more excited to, to really see how this defense clicks with, with Chris Jones locked up. Blake, final thoughts on Chris Jones? Uh, it's, it's iconic for the Chiefs to have a dominant outside pass rusher. Ever since I was watching the Chiefs, I grew up Neil Smith, Derek Thomas, Tom Bahali. The Chiefs have always had a dominant outside Justin pass Houston. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know, so it, it fits the Chiefs' DNA. It's what they are as a franchise. Even when they haven't had good defenses, they've typically always had a good pass rusher who can sack the quarterback. Jones is definitely that. And as a little tease for later on in the show, by the way, this isn't the last time we're going to be talking about Mr. Kelsey on the program today, so stay tuned <laughs> for that. Yeah, it is not. My final thought uh, on on this re-signing of Chris Jones to Kansas City is uh, a man that we really have not given his due, uh, at least in this topic of conversation about his influence with Kansas City, and that's Andy Reid. You know, I, we talked quite a bit about yeah. how people want to play for you know, play with Patrick Mahomes and people want to play for the culture of Kansas city. That culture was awfully bad before Andy Reid yes. came in and we could talk for hours about what Andy Reid has done for that franchise. But I think you've got a, a handful of players, the big top tier players that say, I want to continue to play for Andy Reid, who in my mind, after the Super Bowl win, has solidified himself as one of the probably the top two head coaches currently coaching in the NFL, probably Bill Belichick and, and then Andy Reid. Uh, so I, I think I think that is a huge reason, too, why you're seeing players like Patrick Mahomes and Chris Jones re-signing with Kansas City. We're going to stay on the topic of Kansas City, uh, but in a slightly different context for the next several minutes here on Keeper of the Games, as the entire sports world knows the, the major, major story in the NFL over the last several weeks has been, what are the Washington Redskins going to do? Now, uh, the reports came down earlier this week that the Redskins were going to be retiring that nickname and they were going to be moving to a different nickname. Now, at the time of this recording, that name has not yet been released, although there is speculation uh, all over the place about what that name is going to be. We're not going to talk about that, but what we are going to talk about is what does that mean for Kansas City? Does that mean that the Chiefs nickname is next? And I didn't really know if there was a whole lot of credibility to that discussion until uh, about 24 hours ago. And Sam Mellinger from the Kansas City Star released an article that said the Redskins are gone. Are the Chiefs next? Casey's NFL team prepares for the debate. Now, th this is a hotly contested topic that a lot of people have very polarizing opinions on. But I want to get your guys' thoughts on it. Blake, I'll actually start with you on this discussion. Your first thought on should Kansas City change its nickname? There are very different opinions out there and different people can have different opinions. It doesn't matter what walk of life you are from. It doesn't matter what the color of your skin is. 
there is not even great agreement, might upset people if I say this, there's not great agreement among the Native American community about it either. Uh, you look at three of the high schools in the country that have the nickname Redskins. I'm not talking about liberal. They would be another. They would be you know a high school franchise. We get to one in Wichita here in a second. That's also named the Redskins. Red Mesa High School in Arizona is 90 percent. Native American. They're 25 miles southwest of the Four Corners. They are called the Redskins. They have no plans to change the name. St. John's High School in Arizona is 10% Native American. They have no plans to change the name. Welpinet High School is on the Spokane Indian Reservation. It's way over 90%, probably 99% Native American. Uh, They were using the term Redskins for their athletic programs 30 years before Washington did for their professional football team. Now, I'm not saying, and the Indians on the Wellpinet High School team and the adults up there have said that they do not want their usage of the name to be viewed as, well, that, that means that it should be okay for Washington to use it. The only thing that I'm trying to point out is that people are going to have different opinions on that, and people are going to have different opinions on the Chiefs. There's no one-size-fits-all solution. You know, cancel culture and the way that it works now, we want to go, go back and look at everything. We want to find a solution. We want to get rid of anything that we don't like that hurts our feelings. Um, you know, me personally, I'm interested in hearing the opinion of Chiefs fans, and I'm most interested in hearing the opinion of American Indians who are fans of the Chiefs, who grew up or live in Kansas City, Kansas, or Missouri, or currently live there, because it's their team too. And, you know, it may sound harsh. I don't necessarily care that much what a Native American in Washington or Hawaii thinks about it. It's not their team. If The majority, let's say, and I'm just making this up, I have no knowledge if this is actually true, but if 95% of Native American Chiefs fans like the name and wanted to keep it, and not a single other Native American on the planet wanted the Chiefs to keep the name, I would be totally okay with the Chiefs keeping the name. 100%. I care about what the people in this community, how the Chiefs come together with the Native American community in Kansas and Missouri. What do they think about it? I think their voice and the voice of Chiefs fans and Kansas Cityans, because it's their team, you know, should weigh at the forefront, not necessarily what people on the coasts think. Weston, I know you obviously live in the Kansas City area. So number one, as a resident of the area, are you hearing any kind of chatter about that? And number two, as a diehard Chiefs fan, what are your thoughts on that? I think this is a lot of white noise. I don't, I, I think we can, I want to start from a place of, I, I think we can at least, we won't all agree on it. I mean, no, America doesn't ever agree on anything, but there's a difference between a name that, you know, is maybe is taking native American culture and a name that is being is, has been considered a racial slur for native Americans. We can separate from there. Now you can say, I still don't think it's okay to use a name that is pulling from native American culture. Okay, that that's fine. I'm not saying that that is or isn't right, but I, I think we can at least hopefully draw a line in the sand, the difference between what Washington was doing and what we have here in Kansas City. Secondly, I, I think something that is interesting that a lot of folks should at least know is how the Kansas City Chiefs got their name. So Mayor Bartle, uh, back when Lamar Hunt was looking to relocate the team, he was nicknamed Chief. And so that is actually where the Chiefs got the nickname from. They actually named the team. And... and 
and there's an aspect too of a fan contest, but the, I, if my understanding is right. The fan contest of what to name the team, the the nickname that was placed in that contest was after the chief, which was Mayor Bartle at the time. And there's Bartle Hall up here in Kansas City, and and Mayor Bartle's got a long, great history here. And I, you know, I don't know if there's anything problematic. Is is I'm sure folks will have dug up that if if there is something going on. But I digress. I mean, the team name is actually named after that. I think where you may see some, I don't know, more strong pushback and potentially you see a change in Kansas city would maybe be with things such as the Tomahawk chop. Um, Now, even with that, I I think just like kind of Blake was saying, Kansas city has connected with um, native American tribes in the area. And I'm going to try to say this delicately, just because I don't want to butcher what tribes are involved, but basically they have made a connection with a few of the tribes in the area and have decided to do the tomahawk chop like under their guidance, kind of, if that makes sense. I, you know, so I know that I, th- I think my understanding is like there's they always have a Native American there to help lead the the banging of the drum when they do the tomahawk chop. Um, so ultimately, and, and I guess I just provide all that context because I think it should at least be discussed when you when you try to decide is there is there is this not okay, um, but ultimately let's be real like what do the sponsors say? Um, you know, our sponsors going to to pull out of Arrowhead Stadium because they're doing the tomahawk chop? I just don't think so. I don't think there's going to be enough buzz around the name Chiefs and a buzz around something the fans are doing in the parking lot and, and the music being played. I mean, I think ultimately, I think the biggest thing you might see is them stop playing the music for the Tomahawk chop. I don't think you'll see fans stop doing it. I don't, they definitely will not be stopped played in the parking lot. Uh, that's just, I don't know. That's my take. And, and for what it's worth, the buzz in Kansas city, I don't think anybody's taking it serious that, that there might be some sort of changes in front of us. You make a really good point about the, the sponsors. I mean, the old saying of money talks and everything else walks right in Washington, Dan Snyder didn't even consider making a name change until all the major sponsors started pulling out, including FedEx and the field is named after them. And that was when the conversations first started to get going. Now, one area Weston that I will disagree with you on just a little bit is when you say that you think it's all white noise. Uh, I, I don't really think it is. And here's the reason why. Now that we can talk about cancel culture, we can talk about, you know, all these people that, you know, they're, they're not even connected in any way. They're not even fans or not even in the, the, the ballpark of, you know, knowing what's going on in sports. They just see the name. We can talk about them all day long. The bottom line is that they're passionate people and they're passionate about causes and they accomplished their mission with Washington. The Chiefs are the only NFL team remaining that has a name that that evokes some kind of Native American imagery. So I think it's foolish to think that it's just white noise and nothing is going to happen because you're going to have this movement of people that accomplish their goal with Washington move on to the next target. And it very well could be the next target being in Kansas city. Now there are obviously other sports franchises that are out there that are going to be under the microscope. You know, you look at the Cleveland Indians, for example, you look at, you know, my favorite baseball team, the Atlanta Braves, you know, you look at the Chicago Blackhawks, you know, there are some other teams that are going to be in the crosshairs, maybe be, for Kansas City, but I, I think I think that there is there's going to end up being some kind of discussion. I don't know what will end up happening, uh, but I, I do think that the the Chiefs need to prepare themselves 
for what that's going to look like. Does it mean a name change? I don't know. Probably not. But you never know. But it's good to at least be prepared and to have an idea of what your game plan and your strategy is going to be. If that means making changes to the tomahawk chop or getting rid of it entirely, then that could be something, I guess, to appease the movement. I don't know. Uh, you know, I think that there are other things too. You look at, you know, the the mascot war paint, you know, being ridden around, you know, Arrowhead Stadium, you know, each week. That could be something that goes away. You've seen people w- wearing headdresses in the stands. Maybe that's not something that should happen anymore. You know, so I think that there are some some ways that Kansas City can start to be proactive, kind of like what you were talking about, Weston. But I think at the end of the day, I think it, it might end up being more than white noise when it's all said and done. Look, I know Blake probably wants to jump in here, but I got two things I want to say real quick. I, I, from That's why I wanted to start from the, the position of – I think we should all at least be able to acknowledge a difference in something that is being accepted as a racial slur and something that is just like you said, you know, derived of Native American imagery because and that's this is why I think it's white noise. I think that same group that you said was focused and passionate about Washington. I think they lose a lot of the folks that were passionate about it when you move to other things that aren't tied to a racial slur. I think you have a lot of folks that said, yes, I do not think we should call a team the Washington Redskins that are now going to say, well, okay, I don't, I don't know that I care about. I think you even have casual people like, like I to- I definitely think it's a good thing to change the Washington Redskins name. And you know, I think you, I think you're, you've got a, bit, a lot more people joining your cause. And that's, a, and that's my, I think that's my point. I, I think you're right. I think there are a lot more casual people that were invested in what was going on in Washington that are going to know anything about or go wait. Okay, well, what's hold on? What's the difference? Or we'll even see a difference. And two, and I'm good. I, I'm going to make my comment and move on because this could open a whole can of worms of conversation that you know <laughs> that we don't need to have. But I think with cancel culture you're going to start to see if we're not drawing this line like i just mentioned you're going to eventually start to see a significant pushback on canceling everything i think it's it's just there's a lot of people that disagree with some of the stuff that's being canceled and this the 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 movement that's going on but are saying you know look that's not my i'm not going to die on this hill you know whatever if folks are upset about it i'm going to let it happen I think if it continues to progress, you're going to see a voice on the other side. And then what happens? I don't know. Cause again, just like we said, money talks, everything else walks. Right. So, I mean, that's really, it'll come down to what sponsors do, but um, I don't know. I, I don't think anytime. in the, I think ultimately my final opinion is I don't think anytime in the near future, you're going to see um, any major changes and probably very minimal, if any minor changes. I mean, we're, Blake, your we're, thoughts. We're, we're three white guys. We're we're you know not allowed to have an opinion on this for the most part. Um, you know, my 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 thoughts moving forward is you know as I said, there are so many different opinions among all people. You know, I think a lot of people when it comes to causes and cancel culture, they don't necessarily get behind something because they believe in it they want to get behind something because it makes them feel good. It makes them feel like, okay, I I care about those people. You know, the people in Washington didn't change the name because it was offensive. Even if you believe it was offensive and there's different, you know, opinions about the origin of the name, different history about the origins of the name that it may have even been native American, uh, that, that they actually coined the name for themselves. And then you also look on the other side where, uh, there were, you know, 
rewards offered in colonial America for redskin scalps. And obviously that has a completely opposite and negative connotation with it. But, you know, it, it doesn't matter what people believe, you know, they want to feel like they're, you know, empathetic of what that group is going through. And so they jump on board, you know, the people in Washington, if FedEx was behind the Redskins nickname, I guarantee you they would still have it today. So it was completely about money. It wasn't about the the group that has been affected in a negative way by American culture and by, you know, let's face it, white expansion of the country. It wasn't anything. It was about green dollars, a hundred percent. So, you know, I, like I said, totally different, different ways to look at it. I mean, look at the, the last really big controversy there was at the university of North Dakota, the fighting Sioux that had that name for a long, long time. And in order to keep the name, the NCAA rule is you have to have two tribes that sign off on it. They got one tribe that said, yes, we want you to keep using the name. We feel that it is acceptable. We feel that it honors us and we would be, we would like you to keep using it. But the other group said, no, we don't like it. We think it's offensive. We want you to get rid of it. And so because one group, was against it, even though one group was in favor of it, they had to drop the name. So you're never going to make everybody happy with an issue as divisive as this one. I think that the the case study, this is kind of my final point on the topic, and then we can move on. I think the case study that you're going to be looking at quite a bit, uh, will the Chiefs ever change their name? I don't know. I don't know. Ever is a strong word, uh, but I don't see it happening anytime soon. But you, you look at the Golden State Warriors from the NBA. They were a team that if you go back and you look at their history, I mean, they even had a, a smiling Indian on their uniforms, uh, you know, in the 50s and 60s. Over time, they have evolved their name. Over time, they have dropped that imagery. And now you wouldn't even know that they had at one point had been associated with Native American culture. In fact, if you look at their jerseys now and their logos, it's the Golden Gate Bridge or, you know, and in that previous, stupid trolley car, I, a trolley car. And in previous, in, by the way. in previous incarnations, it had been the state of California, you know, so it was all about the geography was kind of what they had on, you know, for their imagery instead of what it had been in the past. So. Will that happen in Kansas City? I don't know, but I think that would be a logical next step if they get to the point to where it just something has to give and something has to change. You know, maybe you take the arrowhead outline away and you just have the KC as a logo. I don't know. Those I are small things logo. that you can do. I'm just saying those are I'm not I'm not advocating for it. I'm just saying those are some things that could potentially be done down the road that uh, it wouldn't surprise me if at some point uh, some of those things start to happen. But obviously, as we all three have talked about, it is a very, I think we've used the word polarizing and divisive topic, and nobody's ever going to totally agree on all of it. So why don't we just move on? Well, I think why don't that's you just ban, like, just ban the headdresses at Arrowhead Stadium? I, I think that would go, keep everything else, ban the headdresses. Also, um, what do you guys think about Wichita North? I mean, right here in our backyard. I mean, what, yeah. what the, what's the saying? Once a redskin, always a redskin. For me, really hard to see Wichita North keeping it with Washington giving it up. I can't yeah. see it happening beyond this I season. I think that's a really good point. In fact, this happened on Monday. Uh, you know, USD 259 on social media announced it's time to have a community conversation to change the North High mascot. 
that's not even alluding to something that's flat out blatantly telling you yeah. that the Redskins name is going away. Um, the, obviously, like you mentioned, Blake, they're not the only high school in Kansas, uh, Kansas with that nickname. Uh, Liberal and Little River High School uh, are both called the Redskins. Smith Center, their uh, nickname is, are the Red Men. Uh, and so there are some other schools around the state that might be facing this, although we could get into a whole conversation about what things look like in an urban district compared to a rural district and how things translate uh, there. But I do think that it's imminent that Wichita North will end up changing that nickname. You can't have an NFL team uh, change it and then have a high school in Wichita say, that's OK, we're going to keep it. I just don't see that happening. Yeah, me, me neither. And it, and in some ways, you know, I'm not as connected to the nickname. You know, it, it does. I'm the wrong person to ask about it because I'm not offended by anything. Maybe even things that I should be offended by. But you know, they have. If you've been to a Wichita North High School basketball game and you see the cheerleaders, they do their dance in the center of the court. It's it's an iconic city league experience, and they play the tomahawk chant. And I mean, they could still play the music. I guess they wouldn't have to do the arm motion. They could still do the dance and play the music and you know i don't know what they would call them but but you know those are things that i hope don't go away even if they get rid of redskins i hope that they find a way to incorporate the music and incorporate the dancing that wichita north has become known for over the years weston any uh, additions to your thoughts on what happens to wichita north no i, th- I think you're right the thing i immediately think though too is i mean the public school system already hurting for money i mean it will cost them money to change the name to something so uh, well, I, I completely agree with you guys. I think it's for sure going to get changed. I wouldn't be surprised if you see something maybe like a change a name change to like the Braves or the Indians or something. I know you kind of put yourself at risk for a future pushback again, but that way they can kind of keep the logos that they Absolutely. already have. And I mean, because really, I mean, that was kind of my biggest thing is, oh, man, that's going to cost them a lot of money. Not that they shouldn't do it. Just public schools are already hurting for that money. So I wonder if you kind of see some sort of gradual name change to kind of help ease the that the cost that would be associated with it the school board will hold its first public discussion on the topic on july 30th and then there'll there will be a plan developed for community engagement to follow so looks like a lot of stakeholders are going to be involved in those discussions and uh, i think it's all but imminent uh that wichita north high school will end up changing uh its name from the redskins to something else time will tell to see uh, what that looks like and also for the washington franchise what their new name will be at the same time all right our next topic here on keeper of the game is something that I feel like has kind of flown under the radar a little bit over the last few days because there have been other big things happening in the state. But uh, this is notable and something that we do want to talk about here on Keeper of the Games, and that is the Kansas State Wildcats and the Wichita State Shockers are rekindling their men's basketball rivalry with a four-game regular season series launching in the 2021 to 2022 season. Now, the teams will first meet this year in an exhibition game at Interest Bank Arena, assuming that everything uh, with COVID-19 allows it to happen. Uh, But a four-game series will follow that exhibition game for charity between these two teams who last faced off in 2003. Weston, your initial thoughts on KSU and WSU resuming their rivalry. So my initial thought is that this deal is, I think, the best for Kansas State. I, you know, I, and maybe this is just kind of my feel and vibe of Wichita, but it is, it's to me has seems like it has kind of shifted. 
shifted from it used to kind of be KU or K-State, and then everybody kind of liked Wichita State, but they were kind of just little brother. They didn't play kind of on the same stage as KU and K-State, so you could really root for Wichita State and Kansas or Kansas State, whichever your preference were. And over the last, I don't know, 10 years, I think it's kind of shifted to a KU or Wichita State town in Wichita. Now, when you get out to kind of the suburbs or the rural communities, obviously humongous K-State support there. I think this is going to be great for Kansas State to be able to play, you know, against Wichita State, play in Wichita, maybe be able to, to kind of bring in some new fans, some younger generation that maybe just hasn't grown up being able to see not that they couldn't see Kansas state, but just weren't watching Kansas state basketball. And on the flip side, I think this hurts Kansas the most from really removing themselves from the opportunity to kind of, I don't know, rekindle this rivalry. I I have mixed emotions on whether they should or shouldn't concern themselves with playing Wichita state. But now that Kansas state is actually doing it, I think it does really create an opportunity to potentially create, create, Kansas State fans in this younger generation that might have otherwise grown up being Kansas fans. Blake, your thoughts on this? I'm not sure that this has anything to do with KU personally. I mean, let's let's be honest. I mean, people talk about this, and it's a big deal for Wichita State fans, and I understand why. Of course, you would want to play an in-state school with the prestige and the championships that that Kansas brings to the table. But they've played 15 times in 110 years. That that's not nearly enough to have a rivalry. Now, to Wichita State's credit, they are two and zero against KU in March, which is kind of a big deal uh so they definitely have got those bragging rights but i mean if you look back at those last regular season matchups with roy williams in the 90s uh i mean shield your eyes shocker fans they were not pleasant i think that this makes sense for where both programs are at right now both programs are not quite at their high they're certainly well off their low you know before uh mark turgeon showed up wichita state was not in a good place and obviously kansas state was you know pretty much a dumpster fire before Bruce Weber took over. Um, You know, obviously talking about before the time, the Michael Beasley era, that of course was a really, really big thing when, when uh, Huggy Bear was in town in Manhattan, Um, Wichita State, I think is the higher profile team at the moment. So for that reason, I will agree with Weston that this helps Kansas State more because Wichita State is a bigger deal. They're more consistent. And certainly you look at over the last 10 years of basketball. And by the way, Kansas State's had some pretty good teams under Bruce Weber. They've made an Elite Eight. But without question, Wichita State has been the bigger deal nationally, bigger deal in this state. They've had a better coach. They've had probably better average attendance, maybe even in terms of gross attendance, but certainly I think in terms of percentage of attendance, I think Bramlage is a little bit bigger than Coke Arena is, but you know, Wichita State is a bigger deal. I think the fans are going to love it. I think it makes sense for both schools. And I suspect we're going to see a lot of purple here in Wichita. And I suspect that when they get up to the Sprint Center in Kansas City, we're going to see a lot of black and yellow. I think that these games are going to be absolutely packed, assuming that we can actually go and watch the game. We don't have to watch it on ESPN three or something, but let's be honest, Tommy, the real prize is KU Wichita state. That's what every shocker fan is thinking about right now. That's the one that Wichita state really wants. I think that it has a better chance. I disagree with Weston on this as well. I think this has a better chance of happening now than it ever has. 
Bill Self is playing the border war again. And I would have bet literally everything that he would never play Missouri again because of how they left the Big 12 in a time that they could have supported the original Big 8 and they left a lot of the Big 12 teams a little bit high and dry. Bill is not going to do anything that he doesn't want to do, but he scheduled Missouri. I will never say never. And let's be honest, as a KU fan living in Wichita, I don't know what KU fans in Lawrence think, but as a KU fan living in Wichita who's come to know and appreciate Wichita State basketball from covering the team in a way that I didn't when I was living in Topeka and Lawrence, I would love to see that as a regular season series. And I think with the way that Wichita State has elevated their program over the last two coaching dynasties at Wichita State, I think it absolutely does make sense for both KU and Wichita State to play that game. But obviously, Kansas State is another great get for Greg Marshall and for Darren Boatwright. He didn't cave. He got a fair series, two in Kansas City. And Wichita State, by the way, only has to go to Manhattan once in this deal. So it's really a better deal for Wichita State than it is for Kansas State. Great series, and I'm really looking forward to it. To Weston's point, should KU concern themselves or involve themselves uh, with this rivalry with K-State and Wichita State? Should they get involved with it? I, I say no, they shouldn't, but they probably will. And I think to your point, Blake, about the what you know KU is doing with the border war in Missouri, I think I agree with you. More, It's more likely now that Kansas will jump on board with something like this, considering about what we've seen with K-State and Wichita State. And then again, what Bill Self and Jeff Long and the administration at KU have scheduled with Missouri. That being said, you know, the two of you guys have looked at this from who benefits more from a team perspective, you know, with between K-State and Wichita State. I'm going to take it a little bit higher up than that. I think that this could potentially be a very bad thing for the Big 12. And I'll tell you why. In my opinion, now things can obviously change four years from now with these programs, but it wouldn't surprise me one bit if Wichita State wins three out of four of these games. And I don't think that's a great look for the Big 12. And this is a conference that, you know, obviously has always prided itself on being a strong basketball conference with the likes of KU and, of course, you know, Texas Tech a year ago being in the national title game and and being a big time conference. You look at the Big 12 SEC challenge and how competitive that gets and even the Big 12 Big 10 challenge. I mean, those, you know, interconference rivalries are happening, but I think in a in a series between a K-State and a Wichita State, if Wichita State can win three out of four, and I think they can, then that's not a great look for the Big 12. It's a great look for the American Conference who, you know, continually they're building their reputation nationally. Uh, I think that could be really great for not only Wichita State, but the American Conference at the same time. You know, so I'm, I'm going to make... I'm going to contradict myself on the point real quick because while I I agree with you, you know, it's the same show. You usually can't, that's yeah, you usually that that's my job. Yeah. Well, so so here's the thing. So while I think it is, I think Wichita State definitely could take three out of four against Kansas State. I think that one of the benefits out of out of this whole deal for Wichita State is locking in a Big Twelve opponent. I mean, I think that's we, Chama. You and I talked about their soft non-con and how that was going to affect their bubble coming into la, you know with last season. So this, you yeah. know, just locking up a Big Twelve opponent for four years is, I think, fantastic. On the flip side, Kansas State finished dead last in the Big Twelve last year. You know, now I, I think they are a much better team than that. They have consistently shown they're a much better team than that. But if Kansas State really t- continues to hover around that bottom feeder line, beating Kansas State. 
I don't think is going to have really any effect for the American or the Big 12. And that's kind of my counter argument to you. And I'm contradicting myself saying, hey, it's great that they're locking up a Big 12 team. But if K-State stays at the bottom, I don't think it really does anything for anyone. It's just kind of another game that Wichita State should win and goes on about their business. But I, I think it's going to be a fantastic series. I'll tune in, not being a you know diehard Wichita State or Kansas State fan. I'll, pro- I'll watch every single one of these games. I, I, I guarantee I won't miss it. Um, and then I'm going to leave you guys with this for the state of Kansas. What, what if we throw in the Newman jets and get a little round Robin between Kansas Newman, <laughs> uh, K state and Wichita state little, uh, preseason tournament or something. I mean, I mean, sign me up for that. Sign, <laughs> and I guarantee you that RJ Allen would love to play Kansas state. I mean, they've been trying to get in that for years. They've always been, you know, kind of on the outside looking in because they've never been a member of the MIAA before. Now that they are, I think that they've got a good chance to try to get into Bramlage and get into Allen Fieldhouse. Obviously, they've got a pretty good relationship with Coke Arena and Wichita State. I'd love to see them play Wichita State every year or every other year. Wichita State's got a lot of different agendas. I mean, there's so many... There's so many things that I've had Darren Bolt right on my show when I was back on the radio years ago. There's so many things that go into putting together a schedule. I do need to disagree with Tommy on this in terms of it hurting the Big 12. Tommy, have you watched Wichita State basketball over the last decade? Look at them. Greg Marshall at Wichita State. 337 and 119, 160 and 48. Can I interest you in that? Can I interest you in what seven straight trips to the NCAA tournament? Can I interest you in a final four and a you know a one-loss season? When at one point he had four out of five 30 win seasons and then came back first year in the American Athletic, tied for second. We got to get over this thing, you know, call him a mid-major, call him a BCS school, call him whatever you want. It That doesn't matter anymore. We're not living in the 80s where being not in a Power 5 conference is a big deal. Look at what Gonzaga has been able to do. Look at one of the, I think, modern blue bloods of college basketball. Villanova, they play in the Big East, and they've won two national, more national championships in the last five years than the good old boys up in Lawrence have. So this idea that, you know, being outside of a power five somehow limits what you can achieve in men's basketball, it's over. It's done. Now, obviously, the power five conferences are always going to have an advantage. They're always going to have tradition. At this point, Wichita State has tradition. Wichita State had tradition back in the 60s. They had a nice run in the 80s. And this is the golden era of Wichita State basketball. I don't think it's a bad look at all. And by the way, I totally agree. I think Wichita State will be favored in every game. And I think they will win three of four. Maybe they lose the game in Manhattan. Uh, you know, Kansas State, I think, is going to improve over the next couple of years. But this idea that it hurts the Big 12 – to me, that's crazy. Nobody would look at the Big 12 team losing to a Gonzaga, losing to a Villanova, and say, oh, what a bad loss for the Big 12. Wichita State has that pedigree now. They absolutely do. They deserve to be talked about with the top mid-major or non-Power 5, whatever verbiage you want to use. They are a Gonzaga. They are a Villanova. They're that team in the Midwest right now. 
Wichita State should be respected. They are a perennial top 25 team. It's not going to hurt the Big 12 at all. Tommy, I, I guess I so go ahead. Tommy, I knew it was a good thing to bring Blake onto the show. We've probably needed <laughs> we've needed someone to yell at the top of the mountains for Wichita State. I feel like you and I have been a little maybe critical from the beginning and maybe not as supportive as some of the Wichita listeners would like. So I knew bringing Blake on to really get behind and have a good you know yelling for support of Wichita State is what this podcast needed. I mean, what, well, the last four years in the Missouri Valley, they lost four. I know the Missouri Valley was terrible, but I mean, the postseason results, I mean, look at what they did. I mean, they got a terrible draw. They had to play Kentucky. Hey, they made it to the final four. Blake, I mean, what, what do you want? Blake, Blake, I'm not disagreeing with you. I'm just pointing out we needed this on the podcast. <laughs> I, I, I'm, I'm happy to interject what I can. I thought you were going to say, Weston, that we needed Blake on the show so I could have a second person yelling at me about how terrible <laughs> my takes are. Well, um, but I, I will say, Blake, that my only counter to that is that I suppose if we end up having some kind of KU, K-State, Wichita State, Newman, Round Robin together, and you're in the broadcast booth alongside <laughs> guys like Brian Haney, Wyatt Thompson, oh and Mike God. Kennedy, then I guess that would make you what the Gonzaga of that group then, I suppose. <laughs> uh, I'm not sure that I could even be qualified to be considered in that group of those three guys who are all like, by the way, how lucky are you to be a basketball fan? Because Wyatt does a great job. Brian is so passionate about KU. Wichita State, Mike Kennedy, an encyclopedia of shocker knowledge. But, I mean, you look at what Wichita State has done. And by the way, yeah, I would literally crawl through fire and scorpions to do a game <laughs> in Coke Arena, you know, Bramlage and Allen Fieldhouse every other year. You are you bleeping me right now? Of course I would sign up to do that. But I mean, if you, I, there is nothing that I can say negative about Wichita state. Oh, they missed the postseason finally last year. They underperformed and went 23 and eight and probably still could have made the NCAA tournament. You know, I mean, what, what am I going to say negative about Greg Marshall? I mean, the personality he brings outstanding recruiter, great developer of assistant coaches, and has built Wichita State into a powerhouse, a powerhouse that you expect to make the dance every year. It, believe me, this is going to help Kansas State in the Big 12 because they're going to be playing better non-conference competition. That helps the resume of Kansas State. Playing Wichita State does not drag. And KU fans, you know, I, yeah, when you were slaughtering Wichita State by 50 when Roy Williams was around, sure. Playing Wichita State doesn't help. Don't give me this garbage about how playing Wichita State doesn't help KU. Please. How many times do we have to lose to a mid-major in the first round and get my heart ripped out by Northern Iowa before we can get over that? Okay? <laughs> like, let's play a mid-major in the regular season and actually feel what it's like to play against a really good team that's not in the Power Five. How about we do that? So don't give me this garbage about, oh, playing Wichita State doesn't help work, Kate. Please, please save that. Save me from that opinion, please. Well, you know, I, I know, I know, Blake, you're very passionate about that. And, and maybe we'll be able to revisit that on another episode uh, here of Keeper of the Game. So the four game regular season agreement, uh, the first game is at Interest Bank Arena here in Wichita in 2021. Then it's not the Sprint Center, Sprint Center anymore. It's the newly named T-Mobile Center in oh, Kansas that's City. Right. That's that right. will be happening. That's in 2023. 
Uh, K-State will uh, host in 2022 at Bramlage, and then the series will wrap up at Charles Koch Arena in 2024. We're running out of time here on Keeper of the Game, so we're going to get into our Wichita Whip Around very quickly here and just have a brief discussion about this because I think it is notable for the Wichita area. So the National Junior College Athletic Association, the NJCAA, uh, they approved moving the football season and all fall sports for that uh, for that matter to the springtime due to COVID-19. That's going to impact major programs in the Wichita metro like Butler Community College, Hutchinson Community College, uh, and several of the others that are around the state that have football programs. And Blake, I want to get your quick thoughts on this. Again, we are running low on time, but your quick thoughts on the fact, obviously, you're at Newman. I know Newman is not a football school, but what are the implications for these community colleges to moving their football seasons to the spring? Makes me a little nervous. Obviously, I want to be seeing Newman Jets volleyball and all the fall sports coming out in September and basketball to be on pace to start November 19th. Makes me nervous. What will the MIAA do? Because I know we got plenty of Tiger fans and Gorilla fans who are listening and want to know what's happening with their football seasons. I think it shows a flexibility to change schedules around this pandemic that has never existed before in college athletics. And I also think if you want to look at it from a positive perspective, it gives you hope. Okay, if things aren't good in November, let's just move the season back, move the basketball season back. Maybe Division Two could do the same thing that they're doing at the junior college level. Uh, I think that the good programs are going to benefit from this, more time to prepare, and I think the JUCO fans, assuming everything is fine this spring, they're going to be ready to cheer on the Grizzlies and cheer on the Blue Dragons. Weston, I know you're obviously a former, fo- former college football player, from the psyche of a college football player, what would you be feeling if you were in these players' shoes and your season has moved to the spring? I absolutely love this move. I think it is a fantastic move for the JUCOs. I mean, there are so many guys who this is, I mean, if you've watched the, the documentary on Netflix, Last Chance You, I mean, it's so true. There are so many guys that are they're going through the JUCO system. This is their last opportunity to make it out of where they came from and to make it to a D1 and, and hopefully on to, to really just a better life. It's not even about necessarily sports. And so to give these guys more of a concrete opportunity to say, I'm going to get my, and it's not senior season, you know, in, in junior college or your final season, I think is fantastic. I, I really love that they're doing that. And I think the flexibility now, I mean, it would be tough if you're a four-year guy and you're and you're you are planning on coming back. I mean, are you going to try to play a, a season in the spring and then turn around after play a season in the fall? I do think football is one of those sports that you do you do just need a few months to really get your body to recover and then a few months to get your body in shape. And so I think that'll be tough on the turnaround. But overall, I think it's a fantastic move for JUCO. I think it really is focusing on their players and and looking out for them. And I think it's going to have an added benefit for viewership. I mean, it'll be fantastic for me. You know, I would would probably never really catch JUCO football, but if you're telling me I can watch KUK State play in the fall and then I can go catch, you know, a Butler or, or Hutch game, I'd be more than happy to do that when I normally wouldn't watch Butler or Hutch. So more football, I think is fantastic. Um, love the move altogether. Here's my concern before we move on. My 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 only thoughts on this is that I think this is just the next domino to drop. Yeah. And I think if 
Jukos are doing it, then I wouldn't be surprised to then see maybe D2 make a change, is, you know, kind of what Blake was saying. I wouldn't be surprised to then see D1 make changes. I mean, everything has been so fluid. And, you know, Weston, I know you and I have talked quite a bit on this program about how the only thing that's for sure about COVID-19 is that nothing's for sure. And so it's good to have plans, but it's good to have backup plans and then backups to the backups and the contingencies and plan C, D, E, and F. It wouldn't surprise me one bit if now that we're starting to see some of these, you know, these other conferences and leagues and, you know, associations that are making changes, it's going to start to, I guess, trickle down to some of the bigger conferences and the bigger leagues. You know, I saw that the, you know, the the Ivy League, they made changes for this fall, no fall sports and, you know, several other conferences making those changes as well. It wouldn't surprise me to see everything get pushed back to the spring at at this rate. So uh, I think the NJCAA, I think they are just the next domino to fall and will be interesting to see what ends up happening. And obviously, like we mentioned before, it does impact some Wichita area schools like Butler Community College, Hutch Community College, and uh, several others around the area. That's our Wichita whip around. We're going to wrap up the show today with our finally funny. And guys, I don't know if you had a chance to catch any of the American Century Championship over Over the weekend, it was on NBC. It's the celebrity golf tournament held up in the Lake Tahoe area. I watched it. I love watching live golf. And so I thought the PGA uh, tour stop was a little bit boring over the weekend. So I decided to watch all these celebrities playing and Patrick Mahomes played for the very first time. So did Travis Kelsey. Neither one of those guys did anything in the tournament except have a ton of fun and prank each other throughout the entire weekend. You definitely could tell that those guys were enjoying themselves and having a great time. I don't know if you guys had a chance to see the pranks that they were pulling on each other on the course, but it sure looked like they've pretty much got a pretty strong bromance going on. I'm just glad that they didn't crush Kelsey for doing the wet willy on Patrick Mahomes during his interview. I The first thing I thought was, oh, my God, he's going to get crushed because, oh, he's spreading coronavirus with a wet willy. You can't wet willy anymore. <laughs> there was no mask. But, yeah, they were having a ton of fun. And uh, Patrick Mahomes, I, I didn't watch it, but I saw some of the highlights. Did you see the no-look putt? Have either, either of you guys had a no-look putt before? No. I pretty much – I mean, I have. I pretty much – I haven't made Without it. looking, it doesn't make any difference whether I look or not look. It's <laughs> – yeah. Yeah, no, that was pretty, that was pretty crazy. And I also thought, you know, at one point, I think Patrick Mahomes made an eagle and, or maybe Travis Kelsey did one of them. And it looked like they were celebrating the Super Bowl. I mean, they were so excited about it. And I have to say that, you know, I I know we're talking about the golf tournament, but uh, Travis Kelsey has a lot to get excited about right now, because I don't know if you guys saw, and this is a whole other topic that we could get into and spend 15 minutes, but he joined the group trying to buy the New York Mets along with Alex Rodriguez and Jennifer Lopez. So it, there very well could be Travis Kelsey being part owner of the New York Mets. The guy has a lot going on right now. Yeah. And it will, will that be while he's playing for the New York Jets? I mean, just bring us full circle back. Wow. I don't know. I, I I don't think I don't think we're ever going to see Travis Kelsey rocking a New York Jets uniform. I but uh, I, I guess time. I hope not. I want to make it clear. I would love to have Travis Kelsey in Kansas City for the entirety of his career. Uh, he's, he's supposed to be a Royals fan. Come on. Yeah, that's right. Well, and speaking of uh, quick, another final funny. Did you see from our good friend uh, Chris Cole had tweeted at the uh, keeper of the games, uh, Bo Jackson. It was been thirty years since he did his climbing of the wall and Bo Jackson yeah. tweeted the video and said, sometimes I still do this when grilling in the backyard. I thought that was, that was <laughs> good as well. So there's our Royals wrap into the, to the chiefs. Finally funny. 
And you know what? I don't think he was being facetious. I bet Bo Jackson can still totally do that no, for sure. Uh, yeah, that's our finally funny here on Keeper of the Games. And that's going to wrap things up for this edition. Don't forget to hit subscribe. So anytime we have a brand new episode of Keeper of the Games, you'll get a notification. Again, you can find us on all major podcast platforms like iTunes, Google Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, TuneIn Radio, Stitcher, Pocket Cast, and others. Of course, you can watch full episodes if you would like to see our lovely faces. You you can watch it on YouTube and Facebook just by searching for Keeper of the Games. And you can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at CogPod. That's at K-O-G Pod. Blake Cripps, thank you so much for being on the show again. Hopefully we can have you back soon. Hey, always great to be here, guys, even as the third wheel. And if uh, people want to find you on Twitter, how can they do so? At B-E Cripps, at B-E-C-R-I-P-P-S. If you're not a fan of sports or video games, probably don't want to waste your time but if you there are you i'm there for you perfect weston what is your twitter handle at wmills94 all right and you can follow me at tweets from tommy so for blake cripps and weston mills i'm tommy caster you've been checking out keeper of the games take care guys you've been listening to keeper of the games with tommy caster and weston mills don't forget to subscribe download and listen on all major podcast platforms like itunes google play spotify stitcher and more find the podcast and videos on facebook and youtube at keeper of the games and follow the podcast on twitter and instagram at cog pod that's k-o-g pod 